I'm DB, aka Danielle Bezalow, and I'll be your host for the next six episodes of this podcast and beyond. Sex. Birth control. Bondage, domination, sadism, and masochism. Everyone took the condoms, blew them up in the hallway. Conversations about STI and safer sex did not happen. My first time I saw a condom, I was 20 years old. Never do anything that doesn't feel right to you. Otherwise, you're not consenting. I don't even know about a penis's anatomy. I want to be someone who talks more about it openly to degrossify it. So there we were. <laughs> Starting a sex ed club. <laughs> Welcome to Sex Ed with DB, an intersectional feminist podcast for folks who want to hear real stories from five Bay Area voices as we try to revolutionize the way we talk about sex. This is episode two. So we're now going to be talking about the second episode, okay. which is STIs, safe sex, and feeling good. Here's the thing. Whenever you're talking about what's the most talked about forms of birth control, the truth is it depends on what age you're talking about. Mm. Right? Remember, this is Ivy Chen, a sexuality professor at SF State who has been teaching sex ed in the Bay for over 20 years. Because whenever you're talking about people who are maybe a bit older, who might have already had children, um, you know, sterilization is actually a big one, right? And vasectomy is actually getting more common, especially with a newer form of uh, vasectomy that is supposed to come out sometime soon, right? Which uh, involves, it's called vasogel, and involves actually injecting a polymer in the vas deferens, and that can be reversed so that you can give it a second shot and it dissolves it. So that's very exciting. Yeah. <clears throat> so hopefully that will come up soon. Uh, but also actually, believe it or not, the IUD is making a bit of a comeback, right? So the intrauterine device, uh, not to be confused with DUI, driving <laughs> under the influence, right? So Very but, different. Yes. Okay. So what happens is that in the past, uh, doctors had previously uh, prescribed this for women who have, uh, so for, for females who have given birth already for a couple of reasons, mainly because they were mainly just one size. And so if somebody has not had a pregnancy and their uterus tends to be smaller, there's a higher chance of an IUD being expelled, except that actually there are a couple of different sizes now, right? Including actually one called Skyla, which is smaller a little bit of a smaller size um, progesterone IUD. And so it's something that you actually now start to see um, doctors prescribing to high school students who are sexually active or college students. The only thing is that it's, um, it's not going to provide any sexually transmitted infection protection, right? And so, I mean, and, and any hormonal birth control won't, you know, but I think that there's some misconception about that too. Like the pill is just like a magic bullet that protects you against everything. You just right. roll a force field, you know? And right. Yeah. But no, that's only for pregnancy prevention. Yep. And can you talk about the difference between a bacterial and a viral STI? Uh-huh. Yeah. So the viral ones tend to be not curable, although with um, hepatitis B as well as with HPV, the human papillomavirus, we do have immunization. So people can get protection. <clears throat> this is before exposure. And so the bacterial infections are curable for the most part, although there are apparently there's at least one strain each of chlamydia and gonorrhea that is antibiotic resistant. So it's it's what they call an evolutionary arms race, right? And so it's like we'll invent an antibiotic and we'll kill this bacteria. And this is, of course, one of the reasons why people have to finish their full course of antibiotics, because if they don't, there's some survivors, right? And and then they'll become resistant to that antibiotic, and then um, and then then there's nothing, you know, on the market that's gonna that's gonna kill 
that particular strain of bacteria. So, you know, then you got to invent another antibiotic and then they'll evolve, you know. Anyways, and so, uh, but the thing about bacterial infections is that somebody can become reinfected. And I think that's a big difference, right? So for example, when somebody's been infected with a viral infection, it basically stays in their body and they of course can pass it to somebody else. But even if somebody were to have say chlamydia and get it cured, right? Get it completely, completely uh, out of their system, they can become reinfected. Gotcha. Yeah. So for the viral ones, what I've heard is that it's the four H's, which mm -hmm. is herpes, mm -hmm. HIV, HPV, and hepatitis. Yeah. B? Uh-huh. Primarily B. Yeah. yeah. So Although that, C can be transmitted as well. C as yeah. well. Okay. And then could you name some like common besides gonorrhea and chlamydia for the most part that they're bacterial? What are some other bacterial STIs? Yeah. So, I mean, there's also syphilis, which is not as common as it used to be. And if you read about the history of syphilis, it's been around for a really, really long time. And in fact, people used to die from syphilis. Maybe not real quickly. Uh, sometimes it can actually be in their system for a decade or more. And it basically deteriorates their central nervous system. So they, they, Damn. Uh, yeah, they sometimes um, lose their mind. Okay. It can actually Wasn't cause that heart like problems. from the 17 or 1800s? Oh, sure. That was like yeah. a really common yeah, STI. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and people can die from it. In fact, actually, one form of syphilis, one of the effects it can have is it can apparently cause like nerve damage in your nose and then your nose falls off. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. That's what comes up on the Google image searches. Right. And people You're are like, like what? what the hell is this? Yeah, I know. And people, think of it as ancient history, but it still exists, right? But with penicillin being invented, um, this is, gosh, I want to say in the late 30s, right? So people don't really worry about that one as much anymore. Um, but it still can be passed from one person to another during sex. Let's go to the feeling good part yeah. of sex, the pleasure. Can you speak on, you know, how you talk about that in your classes or why that's important to talk about when discussing sex education? Yeah, it's important to talk about because realistically that's the prime motivation as far as why people have sex, right? So to not discuss it is to ignore a primary reason why people choose to do it in the first place. It's not just all for making babies, clearly, right? And especially for people who are not in reproductive relationships or don't have anatomy that would be able to reproduce. And so in that case, I think it's a kind of lying by omission, right? By not mentioning that it can feel good. Not to mention that it's often really unfair because in sex ed, we acknowledge the presence as well as the purpose of the penis, which is for uh, urinary reproductive, as well as for pleasurable reasons for the male. And yet a lot of sex ed don't acknowledge the clitoris. And I, I do, I always include that as a part of talking about the anatomy, as well as to talk about the entire female genital as the vulva, right? A lot of people get the vulva confused with the vagina. Right. Yeah, and they don't really know their anatomy down below either. Right. And so in that case, I, I definitely do talk about the clitoris and its main function being that it helps that person to feel good, right? This is, it's got like twice as much nerve endings as the head of the penis, and it actually does make it so that it feels better. I mean, it, this is this is actually often how a female is able to have an orgasm. Oh, is that right? Compared to vaginal orgasms? Yeah. Clitoral orgasms yeah. are more common. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so even if somebody were to have an orgasm during intercourse, uh, the clitoris has to either be directly or indirectly stimulated, right? And it, that could actually be done either by either partner. You know, they could do it on themselves right. while having intercourse. And so the, I would say the vaginal orgasm would actually be more linked to the G-spot, mm. right? And so, at, which for some what people... What is the G-spot? <laughs> like, I know, yeah. you know, you hear all about it, and it's kind of like in this particular place, and like... 
Can you reach the? Can a person with a vulva reach their G spot by themselves? Of course, yeah. But like, how? How? Yeah. So it's it's not far from the entrance. Okay. Yeah, and so it's on the front or anterior wall of the vagina. So they'd have to kind of like you know scoop around their hands. Okay. Maybe press forward, and there are actually some sex toys that are angled in order to stimulate the G spot specifically. Okay, uh, welcome to the second episode of Sex Ed with DB. Thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah, can't wait to keep talking about this stuff. Nice. Remember, this is Aaron Steinfeld, an educator and activist who teaches youth in Oakland about healthy relationships and how to prevent abusive ones. Can you talk about what you've heard either from students or from friends or whoever you're interacting with about um, the conflict about safe sex versus pleasure and how people say like, I don't really like having like people with penises or people with vaginas, both even um, saying like, I don't like to have sex with condoms because then I can't feel the sex. What do you, what like goes on in your brain when people say those types of things? I'm, I have two minds about it. One is again, like issues around latex are real. For some reason, latex free, safer sex supplies are more expensive, That's um, which really is bad for people who want to do that all the time and want need those resources to be having the sex they want to have. So gloves is one. Dental dams are another. Dental dams are a sheet of latex that generally someone would use if they were going to perform oral sex on a vagina or uh, an anus. So cunnilingus or analingus and put using the dental dam sheet as a barrier between someone's body part and someone's mouth. Um, And then condoms, of course. Uh, as another one safe sex for queer people um how to talk about that how to talk about that with youth with friends with partners so the way i think about it is that the way in which queer people have sex with each other really is all-encompassing of most kinds of sex so when we're talking about queer inclusive sex ed we're including things like oral sex like uh touching like penetration right a lot of conversations like um you know surround very like penis vagina sex um and so when we're talking about queer sex we're talking about things in addition to penis vagina sex so many people no matter their sexual orientation or gender identity have sex that is penis vagina sex and also have sex that is not penis vagina sex that they still consider sex um and so i think again queer sex ed it's a thing that for a lot of queer youth they seek out on their own um and these days young people are wow i sound like an old fart these days young people (laughs) um uh high schoolers and teens are really really going to tumblr um for community uh queer and trans kids are going to tumblr to meet other queer and trans kids if they're the only out kid uh or if they don't if they're not out and don't know anyone else Um, they really are using social media as digital community. Um, and a lot of information is being shared that way. Amazing. The pullout method thoughts. If you can talk about withdrawal, if you have at least 20 minutes to talk about it, 20, 25 minutes, then yeah, let's talk about it. 
recently I, I presented to middle schoolers and there's a organization called Bedsider that makes really good um, and that has a lot of really good accessible information with accessible language online around like safer sex and birth control methods. Um, and they list withdrawal as one of their birth control methods. I have mixed feelings about that. I think if a young person sees that without any context and is like, oh, this credible organization says that this method is good, right? Like if there's not a lot of conversation about how to do that safely, um, then like it's not going to work, right? Um, If, again, if there's time to like really talk about the intricacies there, because there are a lot of intricacies there, then like if we give young people the tools to actually go about that sex in a way that feels healthy for them, then I'm all for it. Mm. So interesting. Cause when we talked to Ivy about it, I, I guess before, like I had only thought that like, that was ridiculous. Like Mm -hmm. that even just teaching that, that that was like a ridiculous form of birth control, but it sounds like most educators are kind of, understanding that like that is better than not, than nothing is that like the idea so the idea the the quote-unquote best practices in the field right now are what i call the buddy system so using at least two birth control methods um so like if someone with a penis is having sex with someone with a vagina um like the person with the penis using a condom and the person with the vagina like being on the pill or being on some other kind of uh, birth control method. Um, Cause like nothing's a hundred percent, but when you like add up the 99% they like chance they're pretty it's almost a hundred, almost a hundred. Um, I think the idea is like talking about it for the sake of being real with young people about it. Um, because there's so much that young people don't get to hear because adults don't know how to talk about that in a real way. Um, it's like how I think of abstinence only sex education, like you, young people are going to have sex. If you tell them not to, they're still going to do it. And so they're not going to learn anything to do it in a safe way. Same with withdrawal. If we don't talk about it, it might still be done. So if we talk about it, we can give young people the tools to do that in a way that makes sense for them and what they're looking to get out of that method. Gotcha. Gotcha. Only 24 states have mandated comprehensive sex ed, and 34 mandate HIV education. How can we not only give the right and proper and, like, the proper information about STIs in an engaging way, but how can we destigmatize them and tell youth that, like, they are very common and even the ones that can't be cured are treatable and, like, coming at it from the perspective that of course if they don't you know they don't maybe they don't want it but if they have it it's okay how do we do that so my approach with friends and my peers is different than my approach with young people my approach with my peers is to say i've had stis um i've had gonorrhea chlamydia um and, and I think syphilis. I don't really remember. Um, unclear. Unclear. My, it's funny. My doctor has a standing labs for me at Kaiser, so I don't need an appointment to go get tested for STIs because he knows that oftentimes I will get a text from someone I've had sex with saying, I just got an STI, so I go into the doctor to get tested, um, which I think is like, you know, he's aware of how much sex I have, so he's like, 
you don't need to have a conversation with me every time you want to come get tested. <laughs> um, but I think the more that we're like talking about STIs at the same way we talk about the flu, the same way we talk about a cold, right? The ways of getting those things are different. Um, flus and colds are viral infections. All the curable STIs are bacterial infections. If we like talk about those things like gonorrhea in your throat has the same symptoms and side effects as strep throat and the antibiotics to take to get rid of both of those things from the body are very similar. Um, so if we use language that there's already sort of a framework for, for young people, um, then I think it like sort of demystifies them. Uh, and I think the switch from calling them sexually transmitted diseases to sexually transmitted infections does a lot of good around like connotation of the word. When we think of disease, we think of like sick people who are going to be sick forever. Um, and the vast majority of STIs are either treatable, curable, or preventable. Um, and like even HIV, uh, there are people who have HIV who are on meds who are have what's called undetectable status, um, which means that if they were to get tested for HIV, their viral load is so low that it would show up as negative, um, although they know that they are HIV positive and will be for the rest of their life. But there are meds that someone can take to entirely manage HIV so no side effects come up. Um, and there's a pill called PrEP uh, to prevent against HIV, take one pill every day, um, very similar to the birth control pill in its, uh, like, builds up in your body, and if you take it every day, it does what it's supposed to do. Um, and so, like, even I feel like HIV is, like, the biggest, most scariest one, and for a really long time, because it is seen as a social disease, um, or first was thought of as a social disease, it, it, there was a lot of politicized shit around HIV, um, that really has changed in the past, like, 15 years. Why don't you think the feeling good part is included in sex education, and how do you include it in your sex ed? I don't think it's included because we don't live in a sex-positive culture. We don't live in a world that really wants to be talking about sexual pleasure. We're either inundated with messages around purity and staying virginal forever or hypersexual messages and we don't often see middle ground conversations of people who have healthy good sex as a part of their life um i i wish the feeling good part was talked about more it is why people do it right <laughs> the only other reason why people do it is to make a baby which is also a really valid thing Totally. <laughs> we need babies, I guess. We need babies, I guess. Um, but if you can, adopt, you should. And the whole other reason why people have sex is because it feels good. And I think that... I, I'm not sure why people don't talk about that part, honestly. I think it has to do with, like, old school, like, Christian puritanical values that have trickled down into our secular education system. Um, and the way I talk about it, I use the phrase erogenous zones. Um, and that different people have erogenous zones all over their body. Um, and erogenous zones are zones that are sensitive to touch and feel good when they're being touched. 
Um, so thinking of body parts as innocuous as ears, right? Like someone kissing someone on their ears could feel really good if for that person ears are an erogenous zone. I fucking love that shit. It feels good. I'm and into it, it. And you could do that with all your clothes on. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to. You don't have to. You could do it all with all your clothes off. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, talking about erogenous zones and I, uh, my, one of my really good friends, Alana, who is also a sex educator, uses analogies of musical instruments. And she says, right, like, if you're going to go play a band, you're going to go play in a band with a bunch of people, you should know how your instrument works before you go to band rehearsal. Um, like, if I'm going to show up to band rehearsal with a violin and I've never played that thing before, like, it's not, it's not going to be good for anyone because my violin's going to sound bad. Um, and so the more people explore what feels good for them before they embark upon intimacy with another person, the more they have a better sense of what they want and what they're looking for. Hashtag masturbation. Masturbation. All the way. Great. Welcome back, Pristine. Episode two. Tight. Numero dos. Awesome. Um, so I want to know where your knowledge about STIs and safe sex came from. The internet. Dum, dum, dum. Friends. Remember, this is Pristine Shin, an educator and activist living in Oakland. I was a public health major, pre-med public health uh, in college. Were you? What's up? Yeah. That's so cool. Definitely. Um, Safe sex for queer folks. What does this look like? How do queer people discuss safe sex? Um, If it's not the heteronormative, you know, penis and vagina sex, like what does it look like? How are we talking about it? Yeah. Um, I definitely can only speak for myself and my experiences with friends. Uh, Personally and like with queer sex and i'm also gonna be talking about like queer poly sex like definitely a lot of communication around uh like safe sex so like i uh, have a like i have a partner who i've been with for over five years um we like like when i had like honestly like i didn't start because i didn't start having sex till like later in life i was a little bit of a late bloomer um but and and even like as like like second or third sexual partner they were the ones bringing up like safe sex and i was like oh yeah, yeah to- totally for sure yeah and then for me being like i've like had sex with like one person in my whole life or whatever um and like vaginas are immune no um but since then it's like if i am having sex with somebody frequently or regularly and i want to continue doing that and i don't want to have to worry about like stis all the time we can come up with an agreement of okay we're going to be fluid bonded meaning we're not going to use barriers on the reg um and if we want to go outside of that then any new person who we don't know their status either we need to know their status either they need to have just been tested or they need to go get tested and until they do we there needs to be barriers involved because personally uh, I like like so my partner also has a partner um and so if I like am doing something that like might contract something I'm not just affecting myself I'm affecting my partner and my partner's partner and that's just not chill so like a lot of communication a lot of explicitness up front a lot of like this is my situation like I would really love to go down on you right now but like can we talk about this thing first and also plan so like like making that a part of the initial conversation really trying to normalize it also make it a part of like the sexy vibes which because I feel like it's I feel like it's not I feel like it hasn't been normalized that way and I feel like also like 
being able to say like this is really spontaneous and feels really good and I really want to do this and we can also do this later when everybody's like chill and safe and like we're caring for each other's like bodies and health great I have a lot of questions here that are like forms of birth control and the like the way that we talk about birth control do you use birth control <laughs> like for your own body but also like you oh, don't there's so many jokes um <laughs> no other than not uh not sleeping with uh penises <laughs> just the penis <laughs> um that's cool <laughs> it's like i'm like jealous of that well they're all i mean yeah there's two sides of the coin right sure like there's there's Yes, absolutely. Like, I never have to worry about getting anybody or getting myself pregnant. And, like, I... So my my partner's partner is a penis wielder. And he came into my relationship with my partner. There is no way for me to accidentally get my partner pregnant. Right? There's no no freaking way. Right? And there are ways for um, him to accidentally get her pregnant, which, again, also comes with all the other privileges of what it means to be a penis wielder. So they're also, like... Like I wish I I wish I could make mm. babies with people that I want to make babies with, you know. Yeah, and it not have to be such a fucking ordeal. Totally. Like yeah, like and I think that again speaks to like other aspects of queerness and identity that are forced to be so intentional and creative and effortful um, when others are not, and mm. often take many things for granted or just like carry privilege in ways mm. that yeah. So yeah, two sides of the coin. Really well put. Yeah. What STIs do you think are talked about the most? And do you know like the differences between bacterial and viral and which ones are quote unquote incurable and which ones are treatable? I know a bit. Tell us what you know. I know that herpes is a virus and there are two different types. Uh, I know HPV is also a virus and the shot hurts like, like a lot. HPV has over a hundred strains, nine of which are very common and can be protected against the new Gardasil 9 vaccine, some of which can cause cervical cancer, others cause genital warts. Strains are mutually exclusive. If it causes cancer, you can't have warts and vice versa. Everybody, including penis wielders, need to get tested for them. And it's just like HPV just like is like such a joke to me. It's just like it's just like patriarchy in viral form. It's just like like, oh, like you can accidentally get cervical cancer from it. But like I can't detect it in a boy. Like, oh, sorry. Like, it's it's cool. Like, you're cool. You know, um, they can be like carriers and then just like release like this like, cancer shit on people. Anyways, <laughs> um, that's their sperm cancer, cancer like sperm, chlamydia, chlamydia, bacterial, uh, um, gonorrhea bacterial understanding that like often places like p- places it lives are like like obviously like dark damp places so like um, in the back of the throat or like in near the cervix or different things so like even with safe sex when it comes to people like like uh, like people with vaginas having sex if they want to use strap on sex like that's a lot more likely to like get anything because that's actually penetrating closer to the cervix as opposed to just fingers or like oral sex um yeah great why when we're learning sex ed in school do we not talk about female pleasure let alone pleasure at all why do you think that because the world is a sad sad place (laughs) oh god um i mean i it's 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 with everything right like it's 
female pleasure is or has been deemed like dangerous and like subversive and like I mean down to like movie like like movie ratings like you can't like you don't see like vaginas or like a bush or like somebody ever going down on like a woman like there are like like whatever ratings that they're like things are appropriate or not appropriate I mean I think it's a part of the I I think it's a part of the patriarchy I think it's a part of the capitalism I think it's a part of all of the things that are fucked up and the ways in which I don't know sex ed I guess is about reproduction and therefore like pleasure is unimportant for reproduction maybe because there literally is a thing that comes out of the penis when orgasm happens that like we talk about like like ejaculation or like male pleasure like that is something to be focused on but I think it's definitely part of a wider net and structure of 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 fuckery that we exist in and as a woman identifying person can you assure our audience that women do have good sex and it does feel good oh yes (laughs) we like sex also, what's that line of the, the vagina monologue? Something about like how many neurons like the clitoris has? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think it's like... Some however many times. Way more than the penis. Like however many times that of like the entire penis, like just the clitoris. Yeah. And then something about like a semi-automatic. Damn, I'm going to look it up right yeah. fucking now. 8,000. The clitoris contains 8,000 nerves. Yeah. Which is like way, way more than the penis. I think the penis has like... 400 or something like that let me check my facts right now how many nerves in the penis 4,000 the gland of the penis has 4,000 and the clit just the clitoris has double that 8,000 nerves I think it also is like a physical manifestation of like like men being taught that like the world revolves around you and your pleasure and your uh, success and your whatever. And like women being told it's, it's not, or like it's, it's unimportant. And I, and I know so many people or I know specific people who like have sex or whatever, or like, but feel really, really uncomfortable with like receiving pleasure or like feel really, really uncomfortable with like anybody like going down on them or like, and all of their focus in sex is on their partner. Mm. Um, as opposed to understanding that like, they also goes both like, ways have space and, and deserve that and have the capacity like to experience so many things hi ingrid hello welcome to episode two yay thank this, you yeah <laughs> this is all about uh stis safe sex and feeling good um and feeling good is the key part in there because Very. as you know as a sex educator we rarely talk about that mm-hmm. so i got a couple questions for you okay can you talk about the most talked about forms of birth control and which need to be highlighted in your opinion so the most talked that students oh, well i'm i refer to students just because that's my my demographic but are you saying the most that students have talked about yeah. and asked questions about yes <laughs> okay Remember, this is Ingrid Ochoa, an undergraduate coordinator and health education lecturer at SF State. They always hear about the pill. There are so many good birth controls out there, but I always hear about like, oh, I just want to be on the pill. Um, Just to kind of give you, um, I actually did family planning. So 
I did a one-on-one education counseling on family and birth control and STIs education. So I did that also as well. And so a lot of the times I'd have students come in and they're like, first, I just want to be on birth control. And the first thing they say is, I want to be on the pill. And they don't really know what the pill is. They like, you know, so it's more of like, I always think, well, okay, well, what... uh, do you know about the other methods? And there's so, and I always refer to the LARC, which is the long acting reversible converse, um, contraception. So it's really looking at which one's the one that will best meet uh, meet your needs. And so I always like really refer to like, okay, you know, yeah, the pill is great, but like, are you good at taking something every day at the same time? I'm like, oh yeah, actually I don't like that. Or and I'm like, okay, well maybe perhaps that might not be the right one. I'm like, yeah, can we look at another? It's gotta be something yeah. Else. So it's like, can we look at, can we talk about another form of birth control? And they'll be like, okay, yeah. Well, like what? You know? And I'm like, all right. And then I would kind of break it down. I was like, okay, do you like, do you wear tampons? And they look at me like, what do you mean? I'm like, do you use tampons? And they're like, yeah, I use tampons. I'm like, okay, well there's another form of birth control that you'd use that you need to insert it like the new ring have you heard of that with like putting a tampon in you have no problem you really won't have any problems putting on a on a new ring and then i go and if you want to try you can get one of those applicators plastic applicators remove the remove the tampon put in the new ring in there and you can use that to insert it into the vaginal canal and i always kind of that's how i normally play it you know to talk about it but then i also go okay that's uh, that's like a medium way but then i really talk like how about are you okay with anything being inserted into your uterus? You know, and then I talk really about like the effectiveness rate, you know, and talk about the Mirena and talk about what's the difference between Mirena and Skyla. And also if you don't want any hormones, I'm like, okay, then let's talk about the, the copper tea and, and what that does. And I know the thing that's so important when you're talking about birth control is what does your blood flow going to look like when you're on a form of birth control? And I think that's a lot of the times what, what women want to know. It's because they're like, okay, well, how is it going to affect it? And I'm like, okay, if you are fine about spotting all the time and you're okay having like a pad or a tampon on your purse, then maybe perhaps like then you'll be okay with maybe the um, Nexplanon that you can put on your arm, which it's like for up to three years, but then you have to be okay with spotting. But like, and then I talk about like, oh, do you ever want to have a period? Some people are like, yeah, you know what? I never want to have a period. I'm like, well, then maybe how about the Morena? So I really talk about like, when I talk about like birth control, I really try to, I know that since the pill is always emphasized, I really want to talk about the other forms of birth control that might be more, uh, more suited to your lifestyle. Great. Thank you. For the remainder of these questions, I want to talk about the feeling good part Mm -hmm. of sex. Can you talk about... Why that's important, how you teach that, why is that especially important for women? Okay, so uh, I think that's the thing is like, we're always, when you talk about like, I think it's always happens like when people come and talk about what STIs are or how to have safer sex, they forget that component about pleasure and uh, and and self-care and also like being sex positive about things because everything sometimes people use a disease model. And so then, oh, if this is if you're not using a condom, this is what you're going to get or or um, or and it's like they don't talk about like the fun part. They don't talk about how to get there. And the thing is, is that there is there is people think that there's a disconnect and there isn't. And in order to really enjoy, uh, of course, safety is important. But if you already know, and I've already had that conversation, like, I always try to tell people like, so in order before you can have fun, have that conversation about the safety before you even get into the fucking bedroom. You know, this is where you're having a cup of coffee or a tea, whatever you prefer. And where you have that conversation with your partner to be like, okay, you know what, let's talk about this. You know, it's like, 
Um, have you been tested? Because no one wants to ask that. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm sorry. Don't you love your body? I love my body and I want to be happy with my body. So I'm going to ask you, when were you tested and give me your fucking results? And if it means that we have to go together on a date to go go. to Planned Parenthood, we're fucking going. (laughs) And that is our date. I'm totally fine with that. I'm down with that. Exactly. You can make it romantic because I have done it. And I, I always get that look of the person's like, what? Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, you're the first. I'm like, good. I like to be, I I always want to be remembered. (laughs) I know. I always like to be your first in something, you know, (laughs) and I always make it fun. And so the thing is, is that when you make it like that fun and it's not a problem, then that's actually what makes it like, okay. And so I never had anybody say no to me. They'll be like, okay, let's do it. And I mean, even if I've been tested already a week ago, I'm like, you know what? I'm doing that. It doesn't hurt to go again. You want to do it with me. And then I also say, okay, you know what? We just got tested, but I don't know what you did three months ago. And so from this point on, we have three months. So there's a lot of things we can do in between. And then once we like, and then we can, you know, test again. And if it's good, we're good. I go, wouldn't that be like, we can mark it on our calendar and that can be like a big hoorah, you know, and then we can plan for that. So I always kind of make that like the fun part. And I, what I always get is like, I get sometimes like, oh, how do you do that? How do you make it like that? I'm like, it really is about you right? No one has, you have control of yourself. Don't have, don't let, don't take that away. Don't take your power away. Don't give it your power to someone else. You have that power and own it, you know, because that then when you own it yourself, then you feel, then you can really enjoy and not worry about like the stressing out about the safety. You've already taken care of that. Fine. Now it's about the pleasure and you can, that whole time you can flirt. You can be like, oh, what do you like to do? Oh, it's like, you like tickling or you like kissing or you like biting. Oh, I like to bite. Oh, where do you like to bite? It's like, oh, I want to bite you here. You can practice, you know, you know, and it's like, and then you can like, I've never had anybody, anyone bite me. It's like, I know how I can do it. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, here, or you just even grab their finger and start nibbling. You know, it's like, I always like say, I, you know, it's like, so oh, is this the feeling good that's part? the feeling good part. Cause then you see their body change, you know, and that's the thing. Like for me, that's what's important. It's like, I like, before, you know, foreplay and afterplay is so important in any kind of feeling good in a sexual act. Like, it's not just about fucking. It's not. I mean, like, it's all everything that leads up to it. That's just like the like the cherry on top, you know? And <clears throat> And even after that, I'm sorry, but I better get some fucking hugs and cuddles because if you just turn around and fucking fall asleep, no, No hell no, I will do this and poke and poke and poke until you're like, "Uh uh-uh, it's about me. I'm sorry. (laughs) You need to pay attention to me. I need cuddles. I need love. I need touch. You need to continue touching me because I'm still high, Yeah, you know, and so, and, um, but I have always had that conversation prior. Right. Because you both agreed. Both agreed about it. Yes. Consent is in your, in it together. Also, though, how consent is continual. So, like, if someone is like, I don't really want to do that anymore, then you're like, all right, then bye. And that's also, too, like, sometimes, like, people feel like, oh, I can't say no. You can say no anytime. And if it's sometimes like even say, you know, you say, you know what, I'm okay having you touching me here. But sometimes when you're in that moment and it doesn't feel right, you have every right to say, you know what, it doesn't feel right. Stop. All right, welcome to episode two, Mom. Hi. Happy to have you back. 
Um, okay, so this uh, topic is about STIs and safe sex and feeling good. Um, and we want to emphasize the feeling good part because often in sex ed, that's not really emphasized. Um, and you are kind of like our expert for this topic because all of your medical knowledge. And we have a couple other voices who are going to be featured um, who have a lot of different academic knowledge and like teacher knowledge and that kind of background. Um, but I want to ask you a ton of questions from this section. So I hope you are prepared. So this next topic is really interesting to me because growing up, I feel like we talked about it a lot, like the idea of the pullout method and how, from my memory, you were always like, that's not a form of birth control. You can still get pregnant. I've had a lot of patients who have gotten pregnant that way. And I feel like, I believed you and do believe you, but a couple of other voices that we've had on this podcast aren't condoning it, but in pamphlets, it is like a method of birth control. Okay. Can you speak about that? When we talk about birth control, I have a, a lovely flip chart. Remember, this is Rebecca Levy, my mother and an OBGYN, a mother of three who runs her own private practice in Napa with over 2,000 patients. I don't know if you remember, but I came to your sorority when you were at Berkeley. Oh, I remember, okay. Mom. You brought cookies <laughs> And I brought cookies, us. and I brought a box, uh, I brought condoms, yeah. and I brought supplies, yeah. Like, and I showed people what the different birth control methods were and everything. So when we talk about birth control, and I use my little flip chart, we go from top to bottom on how likely is it to work for you to how unlikely is it to work for you at the bottom. So when you're talking about it like that, you're looking at... How many women out of 100, let's say, would get pregnant at the end of a year using one of these methods? Pull-out method, 80. 80 women get pregnant. Would get pregnant if they consistently relied on that as their only method of birth control. And you know why so many would? Because one, it's not a great method. But two, people, even if they wanted to use it as a method, aren't aware of what it really means to be a method which means what time of the month is it? You know, what are you having contact when there's already some kind of ejaculate there? You know, th- what are the reasons that it might really fail for you? So mm. people aren't aware. It's not a great method. It's at the bottom of the list. <laughs> so right behind no method, <laughs> right? Right above no method, right. you know? So, so that's why we don't you really... You just hate it. Well... You know, you hate it because it doesn't do its job. Yeah, because it's not. You're saying it's not a method. It's not a method because if I were to tell people, well, here's an alternate method, and you could use that instead, then people would look at me with my expertise and go, "She said it was okay, and she's an OBGYN, so let's use that method." And I, I can't really. There's not a safe way to use that method. Whereas with condoms, if you say. Well, there are safer ways to use it. You know, put it on from the point of first contact. That's your best bet. Well, if you put it on, but it wasn't the point of first contact, it doesn't mean it's not going to work for you. It's not as effective. But you know what I mean? It's not like one is good and one is not with right. with, with withdrawal. It's, it, it's not a reliable method. Got it. Let's talk about STIs. So we have kind of like different people talking about STIs and like the way in their kind of like like I said, teachers or academics. Um, But can you just like top of your head, like what are some facts that you rattle off like to patients about STIs? Wow. Okay. Not in general about specific ones. Whatever you want. Okay. One of the most misunderstood sexually transmitted disease is herpes. I have to say. 
that's why I'm so into it because she always talks about it. I don't always talk about it. No, oh, but we're at the dinner table. Let's talk our views. I don't <laughs> care. Why not? Okay. No, because I have to say that people are very, very ill-informed about how they get it, what it is, the fact that it's there for life, um, what could it mean to their future. Because, And the reason I know how ill-informed people are about it is because Every single time somebody comes into me with a complaint that while I'm sitting at my desk thinking, you have herpes, they have no idea or they're in very big denial about it because the last, I could tell you the last five patients I came in from all walks of life, from the young girl at 19 to the 64-year-old woman who had a new partner after not having sex Yoloing. for years. She's just going at it. Okay. So all those people. This is exactly the way the conversation goes. And I might have told you this before, but I have not done it on a microphone. So they sit in front of me and they go, I have this, this sore spot that um, first I Where? felt a little sick. Where did For, they say Well, it? first I felt a little sick and then I have a sore spot. I think it's an ingrown hair and it's down in that area. I'm not sure exactly where, but when I, it hurts when I pee. And my question is, does it hurt when you pee when the urine comes out? Or does it hurt when you pee when it passes over the sore spot? That is the bingo. It hurts when it passes over the sore spot. I can tell them without even going in the room, that's herpes. So then we have the whole conversation. I don't say, ah, I know what you have or anything like that because it's very off-putting. We go in the room. I do my full exam. If it looks textbook herpes, I'm not going to lie to them. I go, I'm going to do a culture so we'll see what it is. But if I had to give you my educated opinion, that looks like herpes. And and then they don't hear anything else that I have to say because once I s- say that. Because there's so much of cultural course, stigma about it. There's a huge stigma. It. But once, so I say that's what it looks like, but we'll culture and we'll see. But what you're telling me sounds very much like what happens when somebody has a herpes outbreak. They get, they feel malaise, they f- get a fever, they get some swollen glands, they have a sore spot. It passes, when urine passes over the area, it hurts. And it looks like that. So I'd have to put all that together and gently tell them that that's kind of what it looks like. But we'll wait for the culture to come back and then we'll talk about it. And then I have to say, almost all of them go, how could that be? He didn't have any lesion on him. He said he's never had herpes. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. If, if somebody that you've had sex with, mostly unprotected, but it could be protected as well because maybe there's a part that touched you that was had virus there and you get it that virus enters your body somehow and now it's living there and at some point doesn't have to be right afterwards but usually within a couple of days after that's invaded you're going to have this exact scenario that I am hearing from them so the explanation always goes it's always possible that you could get it from somebody who didn't have any outward signs and may not have even known that he had it so the rest of the conversation is now what do you do about it so how do you take care of yourself how do you how do you keep outbreaks from happening frequently what's going to happen what's going to happen when you have a baby do you, you know, do like emotional absolutely. support like absolutely. how do you support these people who have it in their mind that like this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me but the reality is it's you have told me that every single day that you have a patient someone has it like that's how common it is that is true and and it the, for me, I, I um, resolve it in a way that in my practice, I have a lot of time to talk to my patients. So I feel like that is the way that you can actually, 
you, if someone feels like you just said that to them and then you're rushing them out the door, you've just done, done them a double disservice, you know? The fact that I have to break that news to somebody, I know what's going on in their mind. So, you know, it may sound like I'm just telling them that, but that's not the way it comes out. You know, it, it's always in a series of steps to kind of break it to them because most people, what I find is after we have the conversation about it, they there came in because they were worried about something like that. So once we have the conversation and then talk about, you know, how common it is, and I, I give them a couple of websites to go to and give them information that I have in my hand about it. And I always tell them, you can bring your partner in and we you can come back and sit down and let's talk about the future of this. Because if that's a person that's going to be in your future, and I think I've, I've said this to you before, everyone has baggage. Mm -hmm. Everyone has something that they're bringing to the relationship. And if this is the person for you, here's how you make this work between you. Because everybody has something that they have to bring that you are going to need to deal with eventually. What is that like if a woman has herpes and she is going to have a baby? Like how do you make sure it's not like passed on to the baby? And like Right. It can be. So a couple of different things. One is there's a lot of evidence that says that if you know you have herpes lesions down there and you've gotten them periodically, that when you're pregnant, starting from your 36th week of pregnancy, which is about four weeks before your due date, you start taking what we call daily prophylaxis. So you take an antiviral medication once a day, every day until you deliver that baby. And almost nobody gets an outbreak around the time of the delivery. Unfortunately, if you do get an outbreak or you think you're getting an outbreak around the time you're going to deliver your baby... We do a C-section. Mm. Yeah. And chances could be that you might not transmit it if you didn't have a C-section, but I Why wouldn't take, take that chance. 80% of the population has herpes 1, which is oral herpes or cold sores, and was exposed prior to the age of five years old. Wow. A lot of info. Let's talk about other STIs. What are some other ones that you chat with with patients about, I feel like it is like your responsibility to destigmatize them once they come into the room, just because they're, especially for women, there's so, for myself, I'll speak for myself, like as a woman, there is a lot of pressure that like, not only like, will that make you dirty and like unwanted, but like, you know, some of them do stay forever and some of them, you know, are scarier than others. Like, how do you destigmatize them and tell people that like, no matter what, like, we're going to work through it and like it's going to be okay well um first it always helps when people realize that it's a very common thing that happens one in four american adults have herpes too which is genital herpes that is fucking 25 percent of the adult population get over herpes being common doesn't mean that you don't want to treat it or it's not okay to treat it. But statistically speaking, almost everybody has one STD by the time they, you know, get to a point maybe where they're not sexually active anymore. I probably, I use part of it kind of as a learning thing to say, okay, we're going to treat it. This is how you're going to keep yourself from not getting it back again. And this is how in the future to keep yourself from getting this and other things. And is your answer so. usually like condoms or protection or abstinence or? Well, 
you know, until we have something better, because we don't really have anything else that would actually protect people from it. And you don't want Besides people to condoms, have... Besides condoms, Right. You don't really want people having false ideas that there's some remedy that they hear from the internet, that if you drink this before you have sex and, you know, you can't catch something or, or you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. And mm. you don't want people to be putting themselves at risk by believing things that are really not going to happen. So unfortunately until somebody invents a better condom or a better way to be protected you know contact is the way these things happen shout out to anyone who thinks that they can create something better than the current condom that is your goal (laughs) birth Um, control hasn't changed in many years there's maybe one new thing in the last 10 years of birth control mm. okay let's talk about the feeling good part of sex that'll kind of be like the last part of it how do you speak to women about orgasm, about, you know, making sure that they're getting what they want out of sex? Um, what's your tactic for that? Well, first, I'm not really sure that orgasm is the goal for everybody who's having sex, sure. which is true. Um, part of my goal is first in asking people or talking about people's sexual history or their their sexual feelings, let's say, um, is to make sure that nothing that is happening to them with them or around them surrounding sex is something that's hurtful to them Um, i take care of a lot of 50 to 75 80 year old women and i have to say a large part of grandma grandma is not in (laughs) in that category not Um, our grandma not my grandma she's 91 yeah just grandmas yeah grandma her bones will break (laughs) Um, um but because i take care of a lot of that population the number one complaint that I hear for women at that age is sex hurts. Um, Because of dryness? Because of dryness, because of disuse. (laughs) You know, people people who are married, people who are partnered come in saying, I haven't had sex for X amount of time. Sometimes it's years. I would really like to. Years. Yep. I have a husband who would really like to. And... I just can't because it's either too painful. I'm Have I'm, they heard I'm of man. lube? You know, that's not the answer to everything. <laughs> I mean, do they try it with lube though? Yeah, of course. And sometimes it's just like doesn't work? Sometimes you, j- it's just not possible and too painful. And there's a whole category of treatment sessions mm. that we get into for that age group, let's say. But for everyone else, let's say if that's not the problem, um, definitely part of my conversation always because I – deal a lot with women's libidos and you know I do a lot of hormonal management and things like that and a lot of that is geared to getting back the feeling that the desire is there they want it they're they're, it's consensual it's leading to something that's mutually satisfying and you know that's always part of the conversation among the birth control conversation and among the menstrual you know uh control conversation and controlling your cycle and and you know lightening your bleeding and and all that it's always part of the conversation for young people listening what's like one last thing that you would want to tell them okay when when young people come into me and they go i just want you to test me for everything i hear that a lot like i just want std tests and then i always ask them okay if you really want across the board testing There are things I can find out from doing a culture, like a swab of the genital area, and there are things I can't find out that way. And half the people go, just do the swab, because the other stuff they don't want to know about, because the other stuff is HIV testing, testing for hepatitis and syphilis, which are all pretty prevalent in the population, because if if you see 
STDs like herpes, like chlamydia, like HPV, those are the same people who are at risk for the other things. And I don't know where the, why the, the resistance to getting the other tests, maybe because those things sound worse to them. Like, I don't want to know if I have HIV because that's much worse than chlamydia or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if people want to know and they want me to tell them you've got a clean bill of health, so to speak, they should really do it all. Hmm. Because that's knowledge and that's power. Thanks for listening to Sex Ed with DB. If you want to engage with more of our sex ed content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and check us out on our website, sexedwithdb.tumblr.com. We would love to hear from you. Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com for questions, comments, and suggestions for our episodes to come. What are some ways you like to be safe and feel good at the same time? Email your ideas to us and we can shout them out in season two. Our creator, host, and producer is Danielle Bezalow, aka DB. Our content writers and editors are Danielle Bezalow, Aaron Steinfeld, and Rachel Upton. Our graphic illustrator is Jessica Lynn. Our social media and marketing lead is Kat Vestufka. Our sound editor for this episode is Claudia Niles. The title of our intro music is So Low by Art of Escapism. And our outro music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you to our featured voices and our listeners. Tune in next time.